just before we start, um, we have some amazing days ahead, some really exciting days ahead. Uh, we're going to have on um, April 23rd a meeting that I would love for all of you to be a part of, talking about where God has brought us in this last year as a church um, and where we're going. Because I know that last year when we had this meeting and we changed our name to Jesus Church, that the Lord promised us that we were going to have influence beyond uh, the walls of this church, and that's starting to happen. And so I'm really excited to share that with you and, and what God's doing. Please be there because I believe that it's only the beginning of what God has for this uh, community of believers in changing this, um, this city and, and the valley as a whole. So please be there. It's going to be April 23rd. I had it as April 30th, but I just, in all reality, I can't wait that long. So uh, it's going to be April 23rd. It's the week after Easter. Um, we are starting a new series, and it's called Encounters. Uh, this is going to go a couple of weeks past Easter, and then we're going to jump into something else that I'm excited about as well. Gosh, I'm excited a lot today. Um, but this is talking about people throughout the Bible who had encounters with God. Uh, people who had encounters specifically for most of these are going to be uh, Jesus. Looking at uh, people like Matthew, the tax collector, Mary Magdalene, um, the lame man, the Samaritan woman. And every single one of these people, when they met Jesus face to face or when they came face to face with God, things changed in their lives. And you can see throughout their stories how things changed. And I believe so much with all my heart that we need to have these same encounters with Jesus. And when we have these encounters with Jesus, that it will change our lives forever. That it's not a, only about having a one-time encounter with God where we raise our hand or where we say a prayer. But it's having encounter after encounter with Jesus because that's what changes our lives. And that's what we walk through in the Christian life with each other. That's what it's all about. And that scene, that face-to-face time with Jesus is, is what um, I desire for all of us to experience. So this morning we're going to start the series uh, with the disciple John um, in his encounter that he has with Jesus. And so we're going to be looking through all of John's writings, um, through uh, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. But I want to start with Revelation um, and this revelation that John has of Jesus. And so we'll be in uh, Revelation 1, uh, verses 9 through 16 is where we're going to start. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's amazing right there. Oh my goodness. He's a good writer. Uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatria, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I'm so glad that we don't name our churches weird names like that. Well, actually, we do. We name them like random Greek words now that no one understands. But that's okay. <laughs> Moving on. Then I turned and... and to see a voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were, like, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like the flame of fire. 
His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the, as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at my feet as if I was dead. But he said, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades, or hell, and to death. He has the keys to free people from spiritual death. And we don't no longer have to go to hell. So um, this morning I'm excited to share about John's encounter, but let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and everything that you have for us. Lord, I pray that as we jump into this series that you've led us to, that we would have these encounters, that we would see the encounters throughout your word that show us the encounters that we can have as well. Jesus Help us to leave this place differently than we came, Lord. Lord, that it would infiltrate our weeks, Lord. That it will infiltrate our minds, Lord, in the way that we think about life, the way we relate to our wives, to our husbands, to our children, to our bosses, to our co-workers, to the world that we see, the spheres that we live in. God, help us to be different. Help us to be changed by the encounters that we have so that those people who encounter us can encounter Jesus as well and that they can start that journey as well, Lord. So change us, inspire us, Jesus. We ask these things and believe them in your name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have you ever had something in your life where things just keep getting better? Like you assume something's going to be good, but then as you walk down the road, it just keeps getting better and better and better, better than you thought, better than you had hoped, better than you could have even dreamed of it being um, Some people would say this about marriage, so would I. Some people would say this about kids, absolutely, I would say the same thing. Um, I would agree with all those things. I was actually going to tell a story about when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and they killed the Broncos, and it just kept getting better and better, but I'm not going to tell that story, even though I just did. (laughs) Instead, uh, you know, when I met my wife, before I met my wife, um, I first heard, I was in Bible college, and I heard about this beautiful girl uh, who used to go to the school. And it's like, oh, great. Thanks for telling me. Awesome. And, and then all of a sudden I hear, oh, this beautiful girl, she's coming back to the school. And so it got better. And I was like, oh, cool. That's great. And then this beautiful girl actually talked to me. So things are getting better and better. And then this girl actually goes on a date with me. And so things are getting better and better and better. And then she actually um, goes on a second date with me, which is amazing. Praise God. And then this girl who loves Jesus with all of her heart, she says, yes. And this beautiful girl, she marries me. And then this beautiful girl is um, watching children in our um, kids' ministry right now. I mean, things that get better and better and better. I, I know in my life I've experienced that. And looking at John's life, his revelation and experience with Jesus, it got better and better throughout his life. From the day that he met Jesus to the revelation that he writes of Jesus in heaven, it continually gets bigger and better. It grows until at the very end of his life, John comes to a place where he now has a revelation of himself in Jesus. He starts with this revelation of Jesus. It says um, in Revelation, I am he who lives and was dead and am alive forevermore. John had these face-to-face encounters 
with the risen Christ. Now, a little bit about the context of who John is. Who, who is this guy in Jesus' life, a disciple? Um, by the time he writes all of his letters and the book of Revelation, he's actually the only remaining disciple. Uh, at this point, there's no other disciples. They've all been martyred. They've all been killed. In Acts 20 or 12, 1, it says, And about this time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to har- harass some of the church Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And it's also believed later on that Nero crucifies Peter upside down. Every single one of the disciples are martyred for what they believe in. And some of what we read and we speak about is straight out of the Bible. And so we know it's 100% true. Other is historical facts that we see. So we can't be 100% believing in that. But we believe it's true based off of historical facts and the documents of the day. So... The history on John is they actually tried to kill him. And they brought him to uh, this place. We're going to execute him, dipped him in boiling oil. And he comes back out and there's not a singed hair on his body. And so the emperor is so freaked out by this. And after he gets out of the oil, he starts preaching Jesus. I mean, how cool is that? He's not like, I'm alive. He's like, Jesus is alive. It's pretty cool. So the emperor is so scared, so freaked out that he couldn't kill him, that it's believed that he gets banished to this island called Patmos. And that's where he writes Revelation. Um, Around 85 AD is when they believe. Uh, The rest of the epistles are probably written between 85 and 95 AD. Um, Jesus dies around, well, he, Paul's, or John's around 90 years old when all of this happens. And on Patmos, Paul has this revelation and writes the letter. Um, who is John and how did he have a relationship with Jesus? Well, it's believed that outside of James, the brother of Jesus, that John is the closest person that has known Jesus the longest. And the reason that we believe this is sort of the theories on Jesus's relationship to John um, based off of Jesus's mother or father. Uh, the first theory is Joseph, uh, the father of Jesus, uh, was married uh, before he married Mary. <laughs> Lots of Marys. Um, his wife died, but he had a, a daughter named Salome. And so this would have been the half-sister of Jesus. Salome marries Zebedee. Zebedee, we know from Luke, is the father of John. And so John would be the half-nephew of Jesus. The other theory, and what I believe a little bit more, is that Salome, is, um, who is John's mother, was Mary's sister. Salome and Zebedee have John, and so John was actually the cousin of Jesus. And this would make sense why John records the wedding in Cana in Galilee, um, because this is thought that it could have been John's wedding. Uh, It could not have been, but it would make sense because uh, the reason Jesus was there was because he was a relative, and so he brought his buddies with him. But the reason Mary was so concerned over the wine was because she was a relative, and the job of the relatives was, one of them was to make sure the refreshments were all taken care of. And in a Jewish wedding, if there was not enough wine, this was huge shame upon the entire family. It showed that they didn't have the money, or they didn't have the resources, or they didn't have the ability to to manage this wedding, which would have gone on for days. And so Mary's probably freaking out. If she was, if it was her son that was getting married, she wouldn't have been in charge of the refreshments. But because it, she is in charge of the refreshment, it's probably a relative or um, a close family member 
outside of the immediate family. So um, that's why we believe that John and Jesus are related. But however it, it pans itself out, we know that Jesus and John had a relationship. And John continually had these encounters with Jesus. Um, and beginning in John's gospel, it really it begins like no other gospel, no other book in the Bible and except for one, which is Genesis. It says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. John's encounters with Jesus led him to understand better than anybody else from the scriptures and the writings that we see of Jesus as God. In fact, the reason that he writes the gospel of John primarily is so that people could understand that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son of God, but he also was God. And especially at the end of the first century church, the humanity and divinity of Jesus was in doubt. There were some who said that Jesus was all spirit and that he just had a hint of humanity to him. And then others who said, no, no, he was all human and just had a spark of the spirit inside of him. But John, he comes in and has this greater revelation than any of the other disciples. And he writes the gospel of John to prove the divinity of Jesus and then writes first John, second John and third John to prove the humanity of Jesus. In 1 John 4, 3, it says, Every spirit who does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And in 1 John 1, 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. The reason that he writes this is he's lived such a long time. 95 AD, probably 60 years after Jesus has passed. No other disciple around, and he's hearing things in the church that aren't right. So he writes 1 John specifically in Ephesus, this huge exploding church that we just did a series on. Um, he, he had been there for a while and, and had taught there, but now he's hearing back from his people who are there. And they're saying that, that there's this, this doctrine going around that Jesus never actually came in the flesh. And so in John 1, 1, what he's actually saying, First John 1, 1, he's saying, I was there. I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. And so John being the only disciple left who walked with Jesus is the only one who can say these things. Uh, one, an example of this, one time I heard a guy and I had just gotten back from this conference. And so I'm talking with a group of people and he says, did you um, hear what happened at this conference? And before I could tell him I was actually at the conference, he started to say what he thought or he had heard had happened at this conference. And I go, well, that's not exactly what happened. And he goes, well, that's what I heard. I said, well, it's not what happened. And he said, well, that's, how do you know that? And I said, well, because I was there. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's not what happened. But that's what First John is saying. John is saying, I know because I was there. And the reason that he has such a strong conviction on this is because his encounters gave him this revelation of Jesus. And that revelation didn't just stop when Jesus left this earth, it continue, continually grew. And that's what's so amazing about First and Second and Third John, but also about the book of John, the gospel of John. Um, it records more than any other gospel what Jesus said about himself in the words that were spoken. A lot of people call the gospel of John the red letter edition of the Bible. Um, others call it the I am gospel. Uh, every, every, there's so many places where he says, I am this, uh, John six thirty five, I am the bread, John eight twelve, I am the light, John 10, seven, I am the door, 
John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 1, I am the vine. John 10, 36, I am the son of God. John's also called the love disciple. He always is talking about how much he loved Jesus and how much Jesus loved him because he's continually realizing more and more God's love for him. If it wasn't for John's gospel, we would never have the words of Jesus where he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Then he follows it up in 1 John four twelve, where he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. In fact, at the end of John's life, there's historical documents telling a story after he gets off the island of Patmos, where he goes back to the temple or not to, to a church body. And all these people are there and they're saying, John's here. John's here, the one who walked with Jesus, the last one who actually heard his voice. He's here. And so he comes into this congregation as an old man and they're asking him, John, tell us, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about what he said, about what he spoke. What is the, the one thing or tell us one thing about the words of Jesus that really rings in your head more than anything else. And he stood there before them and he said, love one another. And then he went and sat down and they're like, John, please continually tell me, tell me more, tell me more. And he just said, love one another. They said, why is that the only thing you want to tell us, love one another? He said, because that is the commandment of our Lord Jesus. That is the command he gave. And this came through a growing revelation that John had in his life with Jesus and the encounters he had with Jesus. Now, early on in John's life, he wouldn't have done the same thing he did as an old man. His words probably wouldn't have been, love one another. Because John, with his brother, were fishermen. And actually, uh, uh, Peter and Andrew were probably fishermen with him. And Luke, it actually says that they were all together when uh, Jesus came and called them, what is believed is that probably Peter and Andrew's dad had passed away. And so Zebedee, who is John's father and James's father, probably took them in, taught them all how to fish. And so that's why they're all fishing together with Zebedee. Um, And remember, this is a growing revelation that John had. And he didn't start out as this love disciple. He was actually this Galilean speaking, um, what they would have thought is sort of country folk. This guy who who had an accent who they would have believed is not very educated, probably hot-tempered. It says when he, him and Peter are arrested, also when him and John, or Peter and John go to the temple to heal the lame man, that they knew that this guy was probably uneducated and they were taken back because of the words that they were saying. So John, he he was this this fisherman who was probably pretty rough, probably a lot like Peter. And actually, Jesus names him, nicknames him and uh, James, the sons of thunder. And that sounds really cool to me, but uh, that wasn't a compliment, actually. Uh, When you look at that, it actually was um, more of a, these guys are wild and abrasive and probably are in a lot of need of help. It says in Luke 9, 54, and when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? As just as Elijah did. I mean, this is a long way from love apostle. But this is where he comes from. And we see the revelation of Jesus in his life changed him day in 
and day out. So by the time he gets to the book of Revelation, he has this whole new understanding of who Jesus is. That he's changed from thunder to love. And even looking at at the book of Revelation, a lot of people believe that this is a book of the end times. John wrote it about the end times, but Revelation 1.1, it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you try and figure out what Revelation is about instead of who it's about, you'll never understand it. Because when when John wrote it, it was out of these encounters that he continually had with Jesus that were changing and shaping his life day in and day out. In Revelation, it actually refers, John writes, the Lamb of God 27 times. And that's significant because the New Testament only refers to him as the Lamb 31 times. And two of those times are actually in the book of John. So 29 out of 31 times, John is speaking because he understands who Jesus is. Because he understands he is the Lamb of God. And this is a concept that tied the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it came out of a growing revelation that John had. There was no one else during this time writing about Jesus as the Lamb except for John because of the relationship and the encounters that he is having with Jesus. It goes on, and you look at the difference between John and the other uh, three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are mostly the same stories, and John is so much different. It's not that John had this, like, better relationship with Jesus than the others, but he had so much time, probably from a young child up through his 90s, living longer than any other disciple, to actually understand and contemplate and grow in who Jesus was in his life and understanding of who Jesus was as God and as a man. Um, the reason he probably wrote a lot of John, one was to um, dispute this idea of flesh versus spirit, but also Matthew, Mark, and Luke were primarily just the last year of Jesus's ministry. Uh, it actually, Matthew 4, Mark 4, and Luke 1, it says uh, there's birth, temptation, baptism, and those, and then it says after the imprisonment of John the Baptist, well, that happened in the, uh, that, that happened after the first two years of his ministry. It only speaks of one Passover in all three of those books, besides the one where Jesus is crucified in. Uh, John speaks of three Passovers. If it wasn't for John and who he was in writing this book that we read, we would probably not even know that Jesus' ministry lasted three years. These are the encounters that John had with Jesus that shaped and changed his life. He writes the gospel in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John 60 years after Jesus died. And he reads these other Gospels, and he says, this is only the third year of the ministry. There's so much more. There's so much more that I want to share about what Jesus did. John 2, the water being turned into wine at the wedding, only in John. John 3, Nicodemus, we wouldn't know that we must be born again if it wasn't for John's revelation and face-to-face encounters with Jesus. John three sixteen would not be known without John's gospel. John 4, the woman at the well. John 5, the lame man at the pool for 38 years. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. John 9, the man born blind from birth. John 11, the raising of Lazarus. And John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. It's so amazing when you look at all the things that come out of John's gospel. Why? Because he continually had this growing revelation of Jesus. Sixty years after Jesus has gone up to heaven, John's revelation is still growing. 
And I know in my life that after 22 years of having God call me and dedicating my life to him and the ministry that he had for me, uh, I was called in Guadalajara, Mexico on a missions trip as a freshman in high school, before my freshman year, actually eighth grade. And ever since I know that the revelation that God has been giving me continually grows in my life, as I'm sure it does in your life as well. But we have to make an effort to seek out these face-to-face encounters with Jesus. It's so, under, so important to understand, like I said at the beginning, that it's not about a one-time encounter and now I'm good, now I can just live my life. It's about daily walking out and meeting Jesus time and time again. So many different meetings that we need to seek out and long for with our Savior here at church and worship experiences and reading our Bibles and praying and trusting and walking in faith and the things that he has for us. All those things allow us to grow into who God wants us to be and we must keep meeting him. So he goes from having a revelation of Jesus to a growing revelation of Jesus until the point where he comes to the end of his life and he's had a revelation of himself in Jesus. He finally has seen himself the way Jesus saw him. In writing in the latter years of his life, uh, from a revelation of God to continuing to grow, he leads himself into this place where he understands exactly what God thinks about him. And he pins in the Gospel of John, John 13, 23. Now there was was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved speaking of himself. John 22, and she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is talking about John speaking about himself. John 21, 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. John 21, 20, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast during the supper in John 19, 26 and 27. Then the Lord saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her in to his home. See, John, he refers to himself now as the disciple who Jesus loved. And when you first hear that, that sounds really, really arrogant. You would think, wow, this guy really is full of himself. But you look also in Exodus and, and what does it say? Moses says that he's the... Um, most humble man on earth. So we have to know that like, this is the Holy Spirit who's inspired this. But at this point in time, John, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. It's not a comparative. He's not saying, I'm loved more than the other disciples. He's come to a comprehension. Finally, I understand that Jesus loves me. And I believe that John's encounter led him to a place that every single one of us need to be led to. To a true understanding of how Jesus sees us and how we relate to him. John saw Jesus as Lord and Lamb, as Father and as friend. One of the greatest things that we find in the book of John, I believe, is in John 14. It's a conversation during the Last Supper that, again, only John uh, records this specifically. And this is what it says in John 14, 1 through 3. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And Jesus is saying, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not leaving you here. The Holy Spirit, he's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to comfort you. And he's going to remind you of the things that I've said. And so the encounters that you have with me will continue. He goes on in, in John fourteen twenty six says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring your remembrance of all things that I said to you. See, John, time and time again, through this gift of the Holy Spirit, is remembering the words and the encounters that he has with Jesus. He's remembering all of the wonderful things in um, the prayer that Jesus gives us in, in John 17. This is what Jesus says. I pray that you would be one like we are one. I pray that they would know you, know that you love them as much as you love me. And I pray that you would love one another. James, if you could come up. Because by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. The last summer when John, he's leaning on Jesus' chest, he just wanted to hear every single word that Jesus was saying. He doesn't write it down for 60 years. All of these encounters that he remembers, why does he remember them? Because he continually had these face-to-face revelations of who Jesus was in his life, the conversation, the prayer, the Last Supper, 60 years later, kept having these encounters with Jesus. You know, if I could just inspire you or commission you or pray that every single one of us today would make a commitment to just encounter Jesus, that day in and day out, when we see what is wrong with my life, why do things seem so dry? Why do things seem so empty? Like I'm missing something. I'm trying to fill a hole. I'm trying to like surround myself with things because I, I don't know what to do. And what Jesus is saying is encounter me just in the same way John did. Every single day, have an encounter with him. He says that he is here, that he wants to remind you of the words through the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, through the scriptures, through worship, through the words that you hear on Sunday mornings, through that small, still voice that is inside of you when you sit back and take a moment and stop trying to fill your life with things to f- fill the void and just say, God, let me have an encounter with you today. It's available to every single one of us, yet for some reason, time and time again, we pass by it. And we can look at the life of John, the disciple who went from this abrasive, mean guy who wants to burn people alive because he doesn't like them, to love one another. It changed his life. And if we would commit to having day in and day out, face-to-face encounters with Jesus, it would change your life too. If you struggle with how God sees you, encounters with Him will change your life because what you will realize 
is how much Jesus loves you. When I was a kid, I went to a conference, and there was a woman who was giving a testimony. And uh, there's a lady, she had struggled um, with her self-image her whole life. Uh, Her mom didn't want her, gave her up, um, dropped her off like at some county courthouse, and uh, went through the system, abused physically, emotionally, told she was nothing, told she was nothing more uh, than what she could do. Um, what she could give to, to a guy or, or whatever it might be. But um, one day a family walked into her life, took her as one of her children, gave her her own room, gave her her own clothes, still had her walls up, still acted out, still living with these labels that she'd been convinced of. This is who I am, trying to struggle through. I've got this great family now, but I still feel this way about me. And even God feels this way about me. I'm nothing more than what I can be used for. And on her first birthday with the family, it had been almost a year, she sat there, her life completely changed, was still struggling with the voices from her past who spoke lies about her and pushed her down all the time. And the family gave her a card with the gifts. And um, she doesn't remember any of the gifts, but she remembered the card. It said three things that she said she'd never forget. We love you. You're beautiful. You are our daughter. And she broke into tears. And something inside of her broke because she knew she had this revelation that her parents loved her and that she was now their daughter. She finally believed the revelation of who she was. Why? Because she continually had these encounters with her family. And that's the way John changed. And that's the way I believe that we change. It has to be the way we change so that we can come to the revelation of knowing who we are in Christ, that we are beautiful to him, that he has taken us in as his own, and that you are his son or you are his daughter, that you are the disciple that Jesus loves. And I can do all I can do to try and tell you that and try to convince you of that. But when it will really change your life is when you hear Jesus say it. When you hear Jesus say, I love you. And it might take encounter after encounter after encounter. And you might not feel it. But time and time and time and time and time, you will start to change. Until you come to the point where you understand that Jesus is saying to you, you are mine and I am yours. That you are the disciple that Jesus loves. Praying to him, reading his word, listening to him, taking those times, having divine encounters with him and always remember about what God says about you believing what God thinks about you and living the new life that God has given you. If you will take time to have encounters daily with Jesus, it will change your life. Would you pray with me?